Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. gentlemen and welcome to getting it out podcast that was greed by hand to god they're a new pennsylvania hardcore band made up of uh, several people i know and i'm glad to see them come together to uh, start this new thing their demo is out now available everywhere for anybody who has uh hardcore pleasures which sounds like something you might search privately but uh you can do this one publicly all right just uh have some pleasurable hardcore out in public you know, just uh, be safe, be nice to your neighbors, don't hit anybody, you know, and be uh, enjoy your hardcore pleasure. Whatever that means, you know, you take it where you want to take it, just be safe. Don't do it near a school, probably, is the best suggestion. Anyway, these guys and gals, 
have a new demo. It's out now everywhere. I just told you that, but I'm telling you again because I want you to go check it out. Two songs, Greed and Hang In There. I only played one. I could play it too, but I'm not going to do that right now. There needs to be something for you to do. I can't do all the work for you. So when you're done listening to this episode of Getting It Out Podcast, I want you to go search it out for yourself. But of course, first, I want you to listen to this episode. Because I got an interview with my man Justice Tripp from Trapped Under Ice, Angel Dust, Cold Mega, several other projects. But we're talking uh, primarily about Trapped Under Ice on this episode. Not an exaggeration to say, one of the biggest hardcore bands ever. And uh, that's why we focused on it. You know I love talking about Baltimore hardcore. So that's what we did. But first, how about some Hot Zone? Yeah, what's good all you bitches and bitches? It's the illustrious Hot Zone, back at it again with another podcast intro. You said, oh, you want to do a podcast intro for the Getting It Out podcast? You said, oh, shit, I got to write a rap first, don't I? You said, no, you don't got to write a rap first. The Hardcore Podcast you said, all right, I think I can maybe make that happen. Let's see what we can do. Kick it. Make family out of friends, make friends out of enemies. Peace to my family, make friends till they bury all the places we've been. We're never sitting it out, we be getting it in. Where you getting it out? I said all the places we've been. We're never sitting it out, we'll be getting it in. Where you getting it out? Hey, so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're finally doing this episode. This is literally one that was on the list from the very beginning. I wrote Justice's name down as someone I wanted to have on the podcast back when I started over five years ago. So, glad we're here. Glad we're doing this. Uh, But first, I think it's important to talk about some other stuff. And I, I don't know that this is the best place for this, but I also don't know that if there is a better place for this. And perhaps I'll regret saying all this, but this is about regretting not saying anything. So it feels like kind of a responsible wager. Uh, This week is the one-year anniversary of the suicide of the best friend that I've ever had. A suicide that personally came as a shock, but not necessarily a surprise. Uh, Because the truth is, I felt and had said out loud that I thought that he was going to do something like this. I never knew why, I never knew how, I never knew when. It was just a feeling that I had. And I only knew that I should check in on him periodically because that's what we tell ourselves we should do. And, you know, you send vague, hey, how are you texts. Most of the time they go unanswered, but, you know, you feel good about yourself because you did what you were supposed to do, right? You, you were there. You reached out. Um, but sometimes that would uh, elicit a short reply, but a response at all kind of felt adequate to the task. And, you know, good, good job by me. Um, other instances, you know, maybe it's a long conversation and you can probably ends in those plans that you say you need to get together, both you knowing that's probably not going to happen, but, you know, it's like a formality. Um, that was okay because the conversation was really just a point to check in, um, but never really actually saying, hey, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? I'm here for you. That's not really on the table. We don't really do that. Um, so every couple months or a few weeks, whatever seemed appropriate, the same exchange occurs with, you know, varying degrees of success. Uh, one morning I wake up, there's a simple heart emoji, which to me was like a literal sign of someone reaching out and going through a dark time, but engaging in response. And your friend says he's okay. You just believe him because why wouldn't you? Then one day there's, there's no text. There's no emoji. There's no indicator of anything because why would there be? 
It's just like a regular Friday morning. And then comes the text or the phone call that there won't be any more text, that there won't be any more emojis. There's there's no more chance to say I'm worried about you. Are you okay? I'm here for you. No opportunities to check in because the best friend that I ever had had checked out. And uh, you wish, I should say, I wish, this is about me and my friend, I wish I had just said the words, I don't want you to kill yourself. I don't feel like we ever say that. I don't feel like anybody's ever directly saying that to each other. And with all the loss and suicide that I've experienced in my friend group, we still don't say it to each other. And I don't know why that is. We always dance around it. I always say, I'm here for you. How are you? And I don't know if that helps. I don't know if it would help to say that directly to somebody. But I think maybe it's something we should try. Make sure people know you want them around. One of the benefits of having good friends is being able to be blunt with each other, upfront with each other, telling each other what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And I think we, uh, I, I should say I, don't always do that. Social graces, all those things. But sometimes, damn it, I wish I would have. Because now it's just memories and, and, and a long period of grieving. It's over a year. I still think about him all the time, every day. Looking at his picture right now on my desk. Every morning when I make a cup of coffee, uh, I think about how he was here when I got to Keurig. You know? Every time I get on 83. Every time I hear certain songs. Cause, and that's like the thing, soundtracks. Every time we were doing something, there was music. Or we were heading to music. Or you know, we were going to shows. And we are heading down to... Baltimore, driving down I-83, listening to whatever, driving 15 miles under the speed limit, unbeknownst to us, just because we were having so much damn fun in the car, that whole thing about the journey being just as much part of the fun as the destination. And it's cliche, corny, but it's totally true. Uh, Baltimore, though, is where we went. We went there religiously, weekly, sometimes a couple times a week, and it was to go see shows, go to see hardcore shows, sidebar, art space, autobar, didn't matter. We were there, made a lot of friends. Almost everybody that I know through the Baltimore hardcore scene is a mutual friend of Scotto and I, and uh, Justice is one of them. You'll hear me bring up his name a couple times in this conversation as I was listening through this and editing it. I thought, well, it's more important I bring this up given the time than my usual reminiscing about things that happened in Baltimore because almost everything that happened in Baltimore was a result of my friendship with Scotto. And he's a guy who's not here anymore and I miss him greatly. And I just wanted to put his name out there again. So, thank you all for listening to my therapy session. Thank you to all the people that I consider friends. Let's listen to some Trapped Under Ice and then get into my conversation with Justice.
got to get out of the way is how do you think you're going to die? <laughs> oh, dude. Um, I would have said a couple of years ago, I would have definitely said heart related, probably heart attack, stroke or something like that. <laughs> I think I've been doing a lot better with the things that cause those issues. And if my life stays this way, I'm going to die um, of shit, man. Um, in, at peacefully in my sleep around the people I love at the age of the ripe age of 120. Jeez, that's that's the way to go. 120, yeah. that's old, man. You're gonna be. Some people are afraid to live life, but I'm down. I'll just keep going. You know, as long as <laughs> as long as the good Lord will allow. Well, good for you. Good, good. Well, all right. That's not really what I want to talk to you about, but I do want to know, Justice. You and I have known each other for a very long time at this point. Probably, mm-hmm. I guess, 20 years, maybe around there. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. I can't think of Damn, crazy. I can't think of when or where it was either in Maryland or Pennsylvania. You were up here. I was down there a lot of those times. So I don't know when exactly we first got to know each other. I remember seeing you. I don't know if I, I don't. I don't think I knew you yet. But I remember seeing you, uh, like maybe even before the championship, seeing you at something, but definitely at the championship, and being like, oh, like just like your vibe and the things you were into in the mosh pit. It's like, oh, that's the guy <laughs> I want to be friends with, you know. <laughs> well, um, can you tell me if it's true or false that you may have been the guy who did the worst stage I've ever seen during Converge oh at the Auto Bar in like 2002? No, it's not me. Dude. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I feel like there was video evidence on the Black Fear board yeah. and everything. No, I definitely did the worst. I've done a lot of bad stage dives. That's never been my um, strongest suit, you know, is diving. <laughs> but I do a lot of my work's in the pit, you know. <laughs> that's that's, that's right. Along. The reason I referenced that show because that show was actually the first time that I ever went to Baltimore for a show. It was, uh, I think, 2002. Mm-hmm. Converge was headlining. I forget who else. Every Time I Die, maybe. A Life Once Lost and Darkest Hour, I think. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that was my first show in Baltimore. When was your first Baltimore hardcore show? I would like go to like, local punk shows and stuff, but the one that I always say is like the definitive like hardcore, the way I know it, show was... Uh... Hey, Breed, Out to Win, Death Threat, What Feeds the Fire at Sidebar. And I was in ninth grade, so that would have been, Lord knows, um, 2000, it's 2004 sound right? I don't fucking know. That's, that could be. Uh, that seems like a, no, nah, I think, I don't know, Hey, Breed's playing Sidebar 2004, because that would have been after Perseverance then. This was... Uh, Damn, was Perseverance out? I feel like Perseverance might have been about to come out. About to come out. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes and out to win Death Threat. That's a well, Fuse of Fire too. That's a that's a great that's a great show for especially Sidebar, the best venue that ever existed. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the sidebar, but I always say that's the the, my favorite place in the world for a hardcore show. Oh, dude, absolutely. It's a special thing. Uh it hasn't happened in a while. I don't really know what's going on at Sidebar. I've heard conflicting data, but I hope that. It's back up and doing its thing because, like you said, there's nothing like I want to see end it in the sidebar. That would be cool. <laughs> cool getting your ass lit up in that small brick room, like you know when you're like getting your ass beat in the mosh pit, and like the only and of course you're shirtless, right? Right. And the only uh, your only saving grace is to push yourself up against the brick, and you're just like <laughs> coming to work the next day, you're all scratched up, your shoulders are all tore up, you got a black eye, and there's like no explain explaining what happened to you the night before yeah you find you find that random spot in the brick wall where for some reason there's a nail sticking out of it (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> up on that nail. And the only safe space was to sit on the stairs over there, but that's where that's where the that's where the wimps sat though. So you couldn't be the up there. <laughs> Early two thousands, Hapri, Death Threat, out to win. So they're not mush mouth by then. They're out to win. That's that's that yeah. puts a decent time. puts a decent time stamp on it. Um, I think they just changed it to out to win. It was like a like a confusing thing at the time. Like I remember different friends were calling it something different, and I was like. I don't know that much mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so who was like the local Baltimore hardcore band at the time you're getting really involved? Shit. Um, it's kind of really wasn't one that was super on our radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first band that I remember being like, this isn't, you know, my friends had bands like, right. Friends with like the ruiner crowd and, um, but that would have been like farewell hope era, right? Yeah, and um, well, I guess yeah, I guess Feral, it was Feral Hope then, and then um, you know I was like friends with like PG County people that would go on to start um, Nick Fury and Trapped Under Ice with, mm-hmm. and yeah, just like making friends out of town and stumbled upon the uh, across the the Hatebreed concert and that was life changing and then from that point on was like trying to go to sidebar as much as possible was but you know like at that age my mom probably wasn't down with what a hardcore show was so i would probably like try to disguise it a little bit be like i'm gonna go hang out with my friends and we're gonna go to the hardcore show where there's a guy named butt crack who's gonna spin kick me in the face with his ass out and a lot of good characters that time the characters were yeah incredible. um i wonder about some of those people from that time frame because you don't see, i don't see a lot of them you know like it would be nice to see that they're doing well. But yeah. I hear from Jacob every now and then, which is always nice. Like hearing from Jacob. Yeah. Um, but no, like, I don't really. Jacob lives like a block away from me. And I don't, he must chill by the window a lot. Cause I promise every time I walk down his street, he, he goes, what's up, player? He's like, hang out the window. <laughs> I love that. That's like such a good person to have as a neighbor. And coming back to Baltimore after being gone for so long, you know, lots changed. And, mm-hmm. Some things for good, some things uh, for maybe not as good, but things are just different and that's life. And it's like nice to have like a warm person. It's just like, you know, you have these characters in your life and they enrich your life and you want to see as much of them as possible, you know? Yeah. Like I yeah. love being in LA and I like made like a, a whole new set of characters that I, that I really liked and would pop up in and out of my life. But nothing's like the, one, the characters you grew up with, you know? Right, Don't, right. It's like going to visit Sesame Street or something. <laughs> well, especially with with him as an example, because he is also an Essex guy. Um, tell me about tell me about Essex, and tell me why it's not the same thing as Dundalk. Essex is the truth, and, es- and Dundalk just ain't. You know, <laughs> you know Dundalk's cool. I, I like the site. When I was a kid, I was always like the Dundalk. I don't want to say beef, like Dundalk Essex competition. You know, mm-hmm. competitiveness and it was beef if you went to the Denny's on, is it on, maybe it's on Merritt Boulevard? Is it Merritt Boulevard, you know? I don't know. I can't think of it. Yeah. Infamous Denny, Dundalk Denny's where fools were just scrap. And I've literally seen people's pop off because there was somebody from Essex. It could be like Dundalk Essex beef in the Denny's. And for some reason, people would always be like, let's eat there. And I was like, just like terrified that somebody would recognize me or, you know, and there were <laughs> Um, but Essex is 
I, I don't really know how you would describe it. It's like working classish, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, it's weird when you spend a lot of time in a place in your childhood. It's hard to perceive it through the eye, uh, eyes of an adult, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, the neighborhood I grew up in was like Section Eight, like so technically it's projects, but it's like it's like really nice projects, like. Yeah. Like the cutest projects I've ever seen. Like there was like we had like a community pool and shit, you know. But yeah. uh, I guess it was like made as like a resort of some sort, and I don't know why they would put any kind of like vacationing resort in Baltimore County because <laughs> no one's doing that. That's probably why it became, you know, uh, government projects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's like pretty working class, and like it's not. I think sometimes people when I when I talk about my my childhood or something like that, they like take it out of context or like listening to things that I sing about and think that my life was just like hell on earth growing up, you know, mm-hmm. but it's pretty chill. You know, I had some cool childhood things and Essex wasn't the worst place to spend most of my childhood. Um, but outside of that, my family's from um, what's now like Canton Highland town. Right. I spent a bit of my childhood there. And when I, you know, moved out on my own uh, with Chad, our friend Chad Armstrong, we moved out like in like, uh, you know, right after we graduated into a uh, house in Highland town. It was just like grubby and nasty. <laughs> it was disgusting. They like didn't have hot water or like heat or air conditioning, like holes in the floor. I mean, like live with rats. And it was like our first time living on our own. I think if I'm not mistaken. I want to say, I think Chad's a couple months younger than me. He was still 17. I'm pretty sure. We just thought it was cool. We we're like, yeah, you can live with rats. That's not weird. You can like take a bath in ice cold water <laughs> before work. I'm in the middle of the winter in Baltimore. <laughs> you know, it was like pretty <laughs> time. But yeah, I don't miss the rats. I don't miss the rats one bit. I, I never got used to them and I never would. I think my na- some of my neighbors just killed all the rats or some shit because they were out crazy when I got here, when I moved back. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of months, I've seen like one or two rats and I don't know what the fuck happened, but pray for the little rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you got the, you got the rat, rat attacker. So uh, maybe he'll errat- eradicate them. We'll tear the fucking rats up. <laughs> I remember having the two dogs that I had when I lived on uh, Chester Street over by the hospital. Yeah, I had, that big, I had that big backyard, and we used to get tons of rats. And I used to let those dogs out there, and they would fuck them up. And the rats would fuck them up too. But it was it was war. I was just having a positive memory of that backyard, just like we're barbecuing on time back there, hanging out. Yeah, dogs, big old dogs jumping on us and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. that was a wild time with a lot of a lot of dogs people people showed up with their dogs there a lot and that was uh yeah. sometimes a problem that, was, that time too, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it could get uh, it could get nasty between the dogs the people whatever sometimes somebody show up and now they're all smoking pcp and arguing about nothing and you know <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the way it was and that's the i mean you talked about like the, the characters and uh the the seediness, the griminess of Baltimore. And I think that for some reason attracted us, all of us, a lot of us. I don't know many people. I know there was, there's, there's exceptions, but I don't know many people in the Baltimore hardware scene that were born and born and raised in Baltimore. It all seemed to be people from just outside, you know, barely like yourself, Essex, right? You, you yeah. might as well have been, but uh, people like myself coming from another state, something about that place that was a magnet. It was just fun. It was fun, at least in the era that I was there. And I have to assume from talking to the people that I talk to now that it's still fun, but I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's exactly the same. Yeah. There was a generational thing that I think is interesting is like my, my family's from like Fells Point, Canton, Highland Town, that area. And I don't know if it's an issue of white flight, 
I'm using that term right, but basically all the white people went, all the Polacks, because that was like a very Polish, East Baltimore yeah. was very Polish. Um, all like the Polish immigrant stuff moved to Essex and Dundalk. And that's like the, while, why like, you know, like if specifically in Essex and Dundalk, if you're talking to somebody, you hear that really thick Baltimore <laughs> special accent, you know, that you couldn't. This shit's insane. I love that accent. It's so crazy. And <laughs> I've seen you. I've seen you post. What's his name? The comedian Stabby. Stavros. His, yeah. With the with his impression every time the Ravens play, I love it. It's perfect. He's a Greektown guy sounds like Greektown. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting place, but yeah, like then a lot of East Baltimore was like kind of. I feel like when I was a kid, it was like kind of a little desolate. You know, there's like a lot mm-hmm. of houses that were empty, and and then a lot of our generation kind of went back and filled in a lot of those houses and and doctors, a lot of Johns Hopkins students as Johns Hopkins was growing and stuff. But I guess that's a good way to describe a six two. You know, it's like a yeah where a lot of a lot of white people went. Uh again, specifically I think a lot of Polish immigrants went to Essex. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that, that. So when you're getting involved in the hardcore scene in Baltimore, was it you know how at some point it kind of split there was like the art space and the sidebar. Oh yeah. Did that exist when you were getting involved or did that come later? I think that was like something that I feel like my group of friends kind of didn't see that, you know, like I, I feel like a close group of friends, like, yeah. like making music and um, a lot of people from PG County and obviously people from Essex and I don't know, I have friends all up from all over, but I feel like our group kind of never really, bought into one side of that it was kind of like there right. was people who were definitely like i'm a sidebar guy i shave my head and like do skinhead shit and i don't i don't go to art art space it's like whatever you know and then in the art space side you have people who are thought that like like gay children were being sacrificed at the sidebar <laughs> all day. You know, it's like, i know folks who are gay that just didn't, didn't come out till later that it was at the sidebar all day every day just beating ass in the pit you know <laughs> right. uh, so I've kind of always been like, I like both of these things and I like, you know, different vibe a lot of times, but sometimes there's crossover. Um, there was an infamous, I kind of got in trouble when I was, when I was young. So I booked, I booked a hardcore show at art space and it was like popping and backhand jumped on and played, <laughs> which in my head was kosher. I was like, it's hardcore. We're all a team, but you know, it's a provocative band and they said and done some things that, you know, people didn't want to want to be associated with the art space at the time. And, I got got in a little bit of trouble for that, but well, they eventually played there again, so it's not that bad. But yeah, I mean, uh, you and I both know what you're talking about and how they <laughs> they would be. I, they couldn't exist now, but uh, they definitely existed not. and and were certainly one of the bigger Baltimore hardcore bands at a time, right? Mm. I don't think anybody would ever said they were the best or, or good, even, but they were they were definitely one of the more popular. But I feel like when you start Trapped Under Ice, when you guys start doing that, that helped bridge the gap between those two scenes. Because you, like you said, you you guys didn't give a shit and you played both yeah. places and people went to see you guys at both places. But what I remember real early on from Trapped Under Ice is you coming up to play Championship. And I don't know how which show this was on, on the list. First, second, third, fourth, whatever. But I remember buying your demo and watching you and... I remember standing with Colby Black and we were watching through the window in the record store. And I forget who else was with us, but we were like watching you specifically. And we're like, 
he's too amped up, man. He he can't. <laughs> it was like you didn't know what you were doing yet, but like, yeah. but then the, and then I'm talking like a month or two later. It's like a Sunday afternoon matinee show, and it's like you guys and the Mongoloids and Scotto and I are there, and we think because we had this demo that we know all the words to your songs, and we're gonna be the only people that know what's up. But the whole fucking room suddenly knows all the songs to to this demo and it was like right then it was like holy shit these guys got something you didn't seem like you were figuring it out anymore you seemed like you already had it it was it was just like really early on that it seemed like tui clicked did you feel that at all back then yeah for sure like and there was an element of that for me it's like like um when we started trapped in a race i wasn't supposed to sing originally it was gonna be anton and yeah i was gonna play guitar i ended up singing and then we got clipper to come join the band and play guitar and so I was like never mentally prepared for getting on stage with a microphone. So the first time we, you know, first shows. I, so I think that was the second show we played the show you're talking about. And I think it was literally the day after so we played 10 car pileup. And then the next day we played. Gotcha. Uh, championship. I'm pretty sure it was back to back like that. So I was like still really figuring it out. And I don't know, we, we've been traveling a lot for shows and like we had made a lot of friends on the East coast, but the thing is like trapped in a race was like, not cool people you know like but in no no scene i feel like like there was no like no hole cut out for trapped in a race you know what i'm saying like and again like we never we never acknowledged that like this team or that team thing and it's there's always that every every i think it's not like that anymore maybe i'm wrong but like you go to a show and it'd be like these people are like are you metalcore are you hardcore you go to this show be like are you punk or are you hardcore you go to this show and they'd be like are you straight edge or are you not there's like always some like every city's got like their thing. This is why we are who we are. Are we don't fuck with these people? Mm-hmm. I think with it's always been like a thing with us as people. We're like that shit's not real, and it's like that mentality is definitive of our creative circle and um, a lot of like you know the, the circle I create with now and and you see Turnstile. It's like Turnstile's taking it to another level of being like, you know, there's no team. We're all just people. You know, when yeah. the music, and it's like that's so real. It's like and. I loved hardcore. I, I, I knew I was going to get in the mosh pit and get my teeth kicked out. And I knew I was going to get my hair busted. And and I love that shit. And it's for everybody. It's for anybody who wants to get their shit kicked. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> when you go get your ass beat in the mosh pit, it's there. It's available. And, you know, some scenes aren't like that. Not every scene is sidebar or like 90s queens or, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's like we never had a team. And I think with a lot of young people, um, there's a lot of young people in the world who feel like uh, – not represented i guess you know it's like a conversation we have now and there's yeah. representation on a different level now which is really cool but i think at the time it was just if you liked hardcore punk and you didn't have a team and you weren't like signed up for this you could be a trapped under ice fan because there's no look to that there's no image you know uh it's funny i like often joke about how crazy our shows looked when we first started as a band because it was so many people who had no idea how to dress themselves just going crazy like just the, like the worst outfits ever and us too like early you look at early trapped in the right shit now you wearing the ugliest shit man like some outfits that are not okay but hopefully that made somebody feel like they could be a weirdo too and hopefully it inspired somebody you know well i mean just speaking of outfits what about the lack of i mean the the you and sam not wearing shirts on the cover of your demo seven inch was was and is still a big deal (laughs) like why do you think that why do you think that was such a so such a polarizing thing to put a picture of you two you guys i mean the whole band right but uh 
And hold on, and, and side question, would Clippa now be the most jacked one on the cover? No, Sam for sure. Sam, <laughs> Sam I haven't seen Sam in years. I don't know. Sam won't, he won't admit it. Like if you, if you like bring it up to him, be like, oh no, I'm so small. Sam's a fucking jacked monster. <laughs> um, but yeah, after Sam, probably, yeah, definitely Clippa. He's good. He's in great shape, man. He kills it. But it's just weird when you look at that demo cover, we all kind of switched it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's like a pop, uh, popular story of, or uh, not popular story. No, I fucking knows the story. But like yeah. a, a couple friends, uh, the first time we went to Europe, some Polish people were talking to me. They were like, yeah, we're really excited to come see Trapped Under Ice. And they're showing me that they, they had the seven inch with them. And they're showing me the demo cover. They're like, can you show me where you are on here? And I'm like, oh, that's me. And they're like, that's not you. They're like, couldn't. I remember I had a face. I remember by the time I went to Europe, I, I went through something. And I was like kind of depressed. And I wasn't eating. I got like. Yeah. And these Polish fools were like, nah, that's bullshit. That's not you. They're like, and they weren't denying that it was actually <laughs> me. They were denying if it was me in like the, you know, like the, um, it's like the metaphorical way. If that's like who I really am. You know, and they're like, that's not you. You're weak and pathetic. And <laughs> maybe, maybe and, I'm, and that's in the Polish people, man. They love to talk shit, and, but they're always joking. They're very much like, I don't know, man. You go to Poland, it kind of reminds you like, old school Baltimore shit, you know, right. where fools just busting balls all the time, but very seriously. And they're, they're a little scary. So you're like, <laughs> like, like, this is a threat. Am I in trouble? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's fool being like, yeah, like there's really no need for you to come back to Europe or Poland. Don't come to Poland. If you look like this, come back when you, like this, you know, <laughs> but the conversation really just happened. That's incredible. That's funny, but it's, it's gotta be the most, I mean, to put a to put a band picture on the front of a record, I don't know. I guess maybe it wasn't an odd choice at some uh, at a, at a point, but when you guys did it, it it seemed like it. But it worked so well, and it was almost like a whole marketing thing for the band. It was like a it was like a fucking brand uh, to put yourselves on on the cover of the sevens. Was there much thought into that at all, or was it just took the picture, um, looked at it, and worked? A lot of thought, but not of it being like a huge marketing thing or anything like that. Like there's always been an era of like self-awareness for trapped under ice, but just I, I think a thing some people missed in that in that time where it's like we would do stuff knowing it was funny. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like people will be like, oh, these guys are must be idiots or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like being shirtless on the cover of your record is obviously funny. <laughs> you know, it's like obviously right, right. and there's and beyond that, like in a time when it wasn't funny, there was like these real life genuine street bands, like Fury of Five, there's like, you see like Fury of Five full shirtless, like looking crazy. And we weren't that, like we obviously like, there was no um, delusion in my mind that somebody's going to look at that demo cover and see me and think that I'm stick man. You know, it's like, I know that's something. And this is years later. And this is like, it's like funny to imagine that somebody could even fill those shoes. That was like, that's kind of the joke, you know? And people who don't know about the history of hardcore, people who don't know us at that time were like, oh, these guys think they're this, that, and the other. It's like, I don't think I'm shit, man. I'm just shirtless on the fucking record cover. Fun, you know. It's like, and, and bands I love did. There's a lot of stuff that bands I love did that isn't cool anymore. So it's fun. It's not funny, mm-hmm. but it's fun. And that's like a lot of what Trapped Under Race was was like having fun with the the history of hardcore, especially um, what we felt like was kind of underrepresented at the time. I don't know if you remember. It was like I feel like at the time you either were like in a bad youth crew band. And integrity everybody like worshiped integrity that's everybody wanted to sound like integrity and uh i think that was kind of like it musically at the time like just like integrity yeah, it was the, the melodic hardcore and and god oh, yeah, yeah. you know that, that yeah, was, dude. Yeah. 
And I'd be like, dude, don't you have anything else to talk about other like don't be wrong, there's bands who sing about that and it's like not their entire identity. But it's like, how are you gonna every song you sing about is how you don't believe in God? Like, like it's gotta get boring like real fast. <laughs> like, switch it up. Uh so yeah, just kind of like an answer to response that was going on at the time. And nobody was shirtless on the record covers and it was fun and we knew it'd stand out and we knew people would laugh, our friends would know right. us as people say. Look at his dickhead. Like he, come on, you know. That's well. See, that's one of the things. That's one of the things I think I always appreciated having the insight of knowing you, knowing Clipper, knowing Edgebreak, knowing like the, the, you guys at that time. Like I know the attitudes of these guys, and I know what they're doing. Like I know what this is, and yeah, it was it was funny, but it was awesome too. And it was so weird to sit back and watch because at that time, that's like Bridge Nine Board era where you, like, you see the internet blew up in a different way, right? And uh, just to see seeing reactions and uh, comments about you guys and the way how it quickly like snowballed into this big thing. But uh, it was it, it was <laughs> it was funny to watch. Did it create any issues from you creating that image going out there? Were people like trying to challenge Trapped Under Ice? Dude, there was a point where I don't know if it's like a conversation that people were having. I feel like there's a couple year period where people just want to challenge us all the time, physically, like, oh, well, you're shirtless on the record cover, or you wrote the mosh part, or you think you're this, you think you're that. And it's like, yo, just shut up and read the song. Like, if you just listen to the song, mm-hmm. so I think those people, and again, this is like, I'm probably going to sound like a little bitter or something. This is like years ago. This is like, what, 15 years ago now? I don't fucking know. Like, um, I couldn't possibly, yeah, 15 years ago. I couldn't care about <laughs> Somebody who didn't like my band 15 years ago. Well, let's but, start some shit. Let's do it. Yeah, like you <laughs> like my band 15 years ago. We got a fucking problem. But it's like I think there's like a, people like showing their ignorance by being like, oh, all their songs are about fighting and all this tough shit. And it's like songs about my girlfriend broke up with me. The songs about my dad didn't love me. Like it's like all like right. very vulnerable, soft shit to be singing about. And that's what I got from you know a lot of like some of the coolest bands saying about that stuff like you know like the hardest scariest bands singing about vulnerable stuff and i think that really wasn't a thing at that time mm-hmm. but if you look back 10 years before that's kind of there was a thing like the crown of thorns for example it's like and that's like bands like the fucking bible to me you know right um but yeah just like lyrically it was as vulnerable it was about feelings and it wasn't about the image and that's another thing it's like if you just look into it a little bit you'll see that the band's not this this is fun this is the a fun idea but Some people never look past that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It fueled a fire. And at some point we were aware of it. We're like, 
let's just keep going. Let's get the biggest, the biggest, baggiest jorts <laughs> and wear them with Timberlands and no shirt. And that's uh, like, like do rags were kind of a thing for a little while. That's a, <laughs> which I feel like culturally now it's like not really. Yeah, chill, I don't think but, they'll go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but it's like at that time nobody thought that was weird. It's like. I grew up around people wearing do rags and nobody ever said that was like, not for me. You know what I mean? It was like never a conversation. Right. I was like, I can, that's the thing that I can choose to wear. Just like anybody else wears a hat, you know, Yeah. but yeah. real conversation, you know, I probably shouldn't be wearing a do rag. <laughs> probably not, but you know, whatever. Um, th- those, there were different rules back then, like you said, but the, so I, I, I bring it up a lot actually in, uh, in several conversations I've had on here with other people that I specifically remember the demo record release show at the art space, the old art space, I guess, in the basement, right? That's shitty, but I hated shows there, by the way. But I remember it was you guys, of course, and uh, Steel Nation with Pat singing, mm. and Scotto and I left. And that we was awesome. The, it was. We, we were at the little, uh, it was, was it, is it a Hess station around the corner? Whatever, the little gas station right around the corner. And I remember us having the conversation in the car as we were leaving that fucking, it, it's so good. It, we're so thankful that finally our friends are playing in good bands. You know, like we didn't feel like between you guys and Steel Nation, we didn't feel like we had to pretend that the shit was actually good for once. It was like, <laughs> ah, man. Do you Dude, like, Nation, especially, I think that was like one of the first bands that was friends that I was like, oh, you could, I don't know. They're like, just like talented and bl- blown away. And I felt so inspired. And I was like, no, we got it. And we referenced them all the time. We played a lot of our first shows with Steel Nation. Just being like, dude, they're like on another level. They do all this shit. I remember the conversation was always double. We wanted double bass, but we didn't have an Ethan. Like Ethan's just like a, a <laughs> monster, yeah. dude. Yeah, they're Damn. still killing it too. They're still killing it. They're still a genuinely really good band. But anyway, so so my question about that is then, do you remember the feeling like you're starting to see it all work for everybody, all your friends? Because because it seemed like quickly you were you knew a lot of people in a lot of good bands, and everybody was on the come up at the same time. Do you remember that era? Did it feel differently at the time? Um, yeah, I felt like a, a thing happening. You know, like shows were getting cooler in general, and not just. Be, I, I do see Trap and Race's role in that, but it was like a lot of factors that like made that happen, and yeah. I, it got real cool to where I loved. You know, Trapped Under Ice or Baltimore doesn't have the biggest hardcore scene in the world. You know what I mean? It's like it's small, tight knit hardcore scene. It's mm-hmm. cool, it's special. And like even today I go and it's like there's these brilliant characters who are like in charge of everything and running the venue and booking a lot of the shows and playing in the bands. It's a really special thing here. But it's not a huge amount of people. Now hardcore's a little different where like young people are just like signed up for hardcore and it's like the vibe is definitely safer and like um I feel like that probably doesn't scare away people the way it used to, but we've always had, and especially at that time was like, it was cool to make people want to come from other cities to Baltimore. And Mm -hmm. like every show, it was like so many people from Virginia and so many people from Pennsylvania and randomly kids were like flying out to see trapped in a race in Baltimore or like, you know, other shows, like everything was on fire. Like mindset was on fire all the time. And like, you know, towards the end of trapped in a race, turnstile started. And uh, I think, yeah, there's a lot of pulling teeth was doing stuff. There's there's a lot of active bands. There's killing. It was a cool wave, and um, I was excited about a lot of the ideals of hardcore and the creative ideals of hardcore too. Um, and then I started moving a lot. You know, trapped in the race, stopping the band. I started moving a lot. And yeah, lived in different cities and would come back. So I wasn't booking shows in Baltimore anymore. And it was kind of got to a point where I'd come and I'd be like. I don't know a lot of these people. And <laughs> now it's like, 
it's awesome. It's like, I really don't know most of the people at the hardcore show. And I, yeah. I, I like that. It's really nice. That sounds weird. I'm not like trying to like not know people. Anybody can come talk to me, but it's like nice to be like, there's young people in here who have their own life and they're not here because of trapped under ice or turnstile even, you know, mm-hmm. they like love hardcore. They, maybe they got their own band and shit, but also that needs to be said that fucking there's a lot of people that are there because they do, because they love turnstile. And then they found out about yeah. hardcore from turnstile. And, and you could tell like, like when you see like young people that is like really vibrant and excited and like, <laughs> They don't Not know the down fear. Yet. <laughs> yeah, they haven't out yet. And it's like, it's made me just really value like that, um, that atmosphere of being like, damn, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I really needed that. And there is certain times and spaces where you should be able to cook, spin kick another man in the face and it's all right. You know, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, there should also be a space where you can do hardcore and that's not happening. And, and it's cool to me. See like young small people who deserve a place i agree i agree and i i, I like seeing it too it's, it is it does feel like a whole different scene in a way i don't know yeah. I, I was talking about this with with somebody when i was visiting baltimore recently and i i, I asked the question i didn't know i asked the question i was like do you feel like if how did i phrase it i was like do you feel like a couple of old guys that were sitting around there, like we could walk into a show now in Baltimore and I was speaking in like hostile terms and like take it over as a, but knowing damn well that if they wanted to knowing if they wanted to, because they're younger, stronger, whatever, that they could do it, but it's just not built. It's just not in there. And it's just not in the DNA of yeah. that type of scene. And I, we were just kind of debating it. Like, does that still exist? Or would could old people just step right back in and be like, no, I'm sorry. No, you're right, man. We we experience something that opens a part of your brain that the average person doesn't. And I'm not saying like, oh, we went to shows in Baltimore, so we're like soldiers. Right. No, not at all. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that at all. But it's like uh like the awareness of a situation turning gray and seeing the ways people can um physically manipulate a crowd. In a, in a violent situation, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, like, I don't think there's definitely a generation of people who have no awareness of that. And it's not wrong. I'm not saying that, like... Sure, no. You know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah. fucking, like, tough shit. Like, it's like... But it's just... Uh, it's a real thing. And I've, I've seen it a couple of times, like, touring the last couple of years where a violent... Not even a violent situation happens. Like, a little scrap happens or something. It's like, that shouldn't mean anything. But it's like, blowing everybody at the venue's minds and... And then people talk about it and wonder how I feel about it. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. Like, this was just like <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the sidebar every day. And not to mention other places that we traveled to, you know, like going to Boston. Mm-hmm. At that time, we go, you go to shows and it's like, fools were getting fucked up. And you go to New York, fools were getting fucked up. Then you go to Richmond, Philly, everywhere you went, people were just getting beat down at the hardcore <laughs> show. Motherfuckers were getting, dude, when I was a kid, I remember, and you know so many people, I remember it was a thing like where homies would, I'm pretty sure it was almost exclusively in Philly. Like Baltimore heads would go to Philly and get stabbed. Mm, so, I don't remember any of that. You definitely know. So I, I don't want to put names into it, but you definitely yeah. know, I know a person who caught a stabbing in, in Philly. And like, it's kind of like a theme for a little bit where it was like, Oh, you just got stabbed at the hardcore show. And like the friend would be in the hospital for a couple of days and <laughs> it just happened. Like, and it wasn't that crazy or like, dude, I think when we were going to Pennsylvania a lot, I've never seen this anywhere, but, in the state of Pennsylvania, 
somebody moshing and their gun fall out of their pants. That I've seen it like yeah, nine seen times that. in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's basically a bunch of rednecks up here. So, you know, it's you kind of got you kind of got that going on. But yeah, it's it was you know what? Pennsylvania rednecks are different. They're like they're really smart about certain things and like really self-aware <laughs> about certain things, but also just like just fucking loose and <laughs> down to do a spin kick with a gun in your pants. There's a Glock in the pocket. <laughs> You got to have different uh, different offensive techniques, you know. It can't all be bullets. You got to mix in the karate. I got a good one for you, real quick. Uh, Nick Heitman, who used to play bass in Angel Dust, yeah. he just got married. We went to his wedding, and it was in the building across the street from the Broasis where we saw Surroundings of Stout play the one time. Oh no, that was a bad night for me. Yeah, you got into the scrap. You got into a good scrap, and uh, it's so funny. We're like walking down to like this is where the wedding is, and I was like, this is not the building because. <laughs> I've seen hardcore shows and it's not like a wedding, but they like redid all that shit. And it's like real nice now, but it used to be like dangerous, scary warehouse with like holes in the floor and yeah. like falling debris and shit. <laughs> and, like, I, like broke my ankle at the Broasis and everybody's got like people like inhaling asbestos all day and lead paint and shot like nails on the floor. But anyway, it's like, yeah, again, it's the building across from Broasis, but like we're there and I'm just like, I know this man's not going to get married in a room that I watched Dan Crayley whooped somebody's ass to stout in. I guess that's, that's where the wedding's going to happen. It was actually right outside of it. It was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful wedding. Um, just, again, just just like, a- time changes things. And, like, you're like, damn, like, life's so different. The homie's, like, grown up. He was, like, the little homie. He was, like, a, he was, yeah. I mean, when that shit was going down, he was, like, 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe 30 years old and getting married and doing grown-up stuff. And just, like, to be that close to where we were doing such not grown-up stuff. <laughs> No, and what the, the bad thing was is that we were grown ups a little bit, you know, in, in mid twenties then, or at least I was mid mid twenties then, and still not doing grown up shit. But you know, whatever. yeah, different time. I didn't have a lot of examples of like proper grown ups around me, you know. Right. And so, right. like me, you're you're not much older than me, but you, uh, I feel like you kind of like developed faster. You like had a little more stability faster. Like you were working man. That's why we were like, yo, let's just go on tour and like lose all of our money and then sleep on people's couches for a couple weeks you know i, I did a lot of that right, at the time. right but i remember like actually looking like, like going to your house uh, in chester right is where it was yeah 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 um like thinking to myself like damn dan's grown up this is what life is when you're growing up like you get a house on chester and then you're still at the sidebar and we drink and we fight and stuff and that's just what life is and that's what a grown-up does <laughs> you know what else who could tell me different there's nobody really to do that that age <laughs> Well, and the, and the uh, the older examples we had were uh, were doing it too. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, but that was a uh, that was that was a fun time. But that was like T when I was in Baltimore. It was like Ty at its height, pretty much the whole time I was there. Not pretty much. Well, I forget when, when did you officially? Well, no. All right, here's the thing. You've done this very unique thing that I that I've always appreciated. That you guys have never used the word last shows, and you never used the yeah. word reunion, as far as I know. It's always just been yeah. the doors vaguely open. Because it was like a, you know, there was like a, it was like a every band was doing it for a little while, where they're like, so last mm-hmm. show and trying to cash out and do this big show, and like, and then um, you know they get back together. And I do think that like heightens the desirability for two shows, your last show and then your reunion show. But then after that, people were like, oh, we see dude as bullshit. And I think that really hurts. It's like a, a thing that hurts your career. At the time, it was thinking about career. We were thinking about the uh, legitimacy of our band. You know, we're like, that's mm-hmm. some illegitimate shit. People see us as illegitimate. We don't want to do that, you know? And every one of those bands that ever have done it, I remember, I remember talking to them being like, 
you know you're going to get back together. You know you're going to play shows. You have you want to do this. You're having so much fun, and you're just saying this. And they're like, "No, we're we're done forever." And they all do it. They all get back together. Yeah. So it's like, and it's like, what reason do we have to break up? We all love each other, and we respect each other, and we love what we did. Like nobody has any hint of embarrassment about this. We loved it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I have no reason to hide from this. It's like still part of who I am. It still represents a very real piece of my life and who I am. So it's like, we're a band and when it feels relevant in our lives and it feels in everybody's life, you know, it's like, um, we, we, you know, want to do it on our terms. And that's another thing is on our terms is like, so it's like with music, with art, it's supposed to be art, supposed to be on your terms. If you're an artist, you know, and like, I've always, even when, when trapped in race, like it's most ignorant point, I've always viewed it as art, you know, mm-hmm. and everything I've liked, done i put stuff out in the world and people see it it's art you know it's like and it's important to me that it's perceived the way it's meant to be perceived and at least trying to you know i do so much but like the what became the system like the music industry of hardcore because it did turn into that like this person books there's like 15 booking agents all competing and there's like a route that everybody was doing like kind of a similar route for touring the u.s and every band would start and then be touring the u.s there was there's a point where it was like 50 like pretty successful bands touring the U.S. at all times, you know. It's like just like it was crazy, and it's probably a good thing that's not that anymore. And people, um, the internet's made it to where people don't have to do as much on the road. But yeah, that like machine that you get put into was was dictating who we were as artists. Like, well, you can you can play this show, but then you can't do this, and you've got to put a record out this time if you want to do this, and you can't. Then it start turning to stuff like that. Well, you can't sing about this. You can't do that. You can't do that. And it's like. Oh, dog, I'm an artist. And you're not going to sit here and tell me what I can and can't do. And nobody's getting, and people started feeling entitled to what we did. Well, you didn't do what I told you. That's because I'm a fucking artist. I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do. And, you know, all of us are, I think, on that same page. So it's like, it's about maintaining stuff on our terms. Yeah. And that's kind of what Trapped in Rice is like, these fools all have their own lives and we've all built out in different directions and we're like significantly different people. Like, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like, we're just mm-hmm. much different from people and different from each other in a lot of ways. And obviously there's things we share, but it's like, if we're going to do it, it's got to be on all of our terms. Again, with how different our lives are, um, it's not, not going to be as frequent, but it's going to be real right. time, you know? Um, that's not to say that Brennan's going to be there when we play uh, at least the next two shows. Because um, he's got things he's doing, you know what I mean? That's kind of always been the trap. Yeah. Yeah. Never more than one fill in. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I gotta th- I'm trying to think of uh the fill-ins that I knew for you. And we, what we used, yeah, I know. That's why we when Pleasant Living was a band, we claimed X Trap Under Ice because we yeah, had yeah, a fill-in. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Cause we had a fill-in. Um yeah. Um the uh it was to speak about the when you guys calmed it down basically. I don't know what, what other we're gonna use, but uh you had Angel Dust going on by then. Brennan had Turnstile and Brennan and Sam had Diamond Youth going on. Did that contribute to the stopping, the postponing of Trap Under Ice? No, I think it was it was coming, but it made it a little bit easier. Yeah. We're you know, all people that need to create, need to do stuff. Um, so it's, you know, it's like, felt like a good time to kind of, again, regain mm-hmm. the, uh, like, control of the band, you know, like, uh, and make sure that everything's on our terms. And while we're at it let's pursue other things and do other things for fun and 
you know, like Angel Dust wasn't meant to be a band for real. And, and not, uh, Turnstile, I don't think, was really meant to be a band either. It was like, actually, I'm certain of it. That was part of the conversation is like, D-Fang was playing drums in Turnstile. And he was like, I want to be in a band that goes on tour and does stuff. And like, Turnstile's like this thing we did for fun. Yeah. So I was like, well, we'll like record this Angel Dust record and like go tour and like you can play drums in that. He's like, yeah, we're we'll going on tour. It's like, <laughs> you know, fun. And, you know, both, both bands generated more. Um, demand and became but it never really works out how you, i think it's one cool thing about the story of all of these bands and a lot of bands and a lot of cool art is like shit doesn't work out how you plan again i never, I didn't mean to sing in trapped in the race i didn't mean to sing an angel yeah. doesn't um but like just kind of i think i think from the outsider it looked like diamond youth was going to be the band that was that was going to break out of that especially when that, yeah. that first seven inch that diamond seven inch um but yeah, so it's funny to see how it's all evolved and happened with Turnstile going as as big as they did. Even you with Angel Dust. I remember I was working third shift and I like put a post on somewhere, like just looking for music or whatever. And you hit me up and you're like, what's your email address? And so you e- and then you email me the uh, extra raw seven inch before you before you put that one out. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, remember, I remember hearing it and thinking, I don't know what, I don't, I don't really know what this is. I don't know if I like it. And then it was, it was definitely one of those growers. Like now I, you know, I own it somewhere in here, but, uh, but I love, I love that record. And I, I, to speak about Angel Dust a little bit, I love the way you've evolved the sound. It's, it's been nuts. It's, it's like, it's extra raw to yak. doesn't even seem like the same band. I mean, there's some things, right? There's some things in there, but like, but little it, things. I think a big thing with extra raw is I, I had literally no idea how to sing and I just wanted to sing. Yeah. So it was like, all right, this is me learning how to sing. And I, I think that shit's magical. Do you, you listen to a band or like an artist? Like, I mean, there's some people who get real sacred about learning and they're like, I need to hide mm-hmm. this until I'm great. And then I'll, I'll drop the biggest thing ever. And it's like, people want to grow with you. They want to, they, people want to be motivated, inspired and like to hear the guy from Trapped in the Rice doing something vulnerable and maybe kind of bad. Like Extra Raw is kind of bad, but like in a cool way. I love it, you know? Right. And it's like, you know, you can see me learning how to sing and see us becoming better songwriters. And I think even with the context of Turnstile, it's like there was these certain tools that Turnstile had. And like we were learning as as a group of friends how to do new things. And the way Brendan would kind of like um, compose that and like utilize it in context what they're making you know mm-hmm. and then that then i then i learn a new trick while they're doing turnstile and then and you know it's like uh and then we put out you know the last captain race record we did heat wave it's like there's yeah. people being well it sounds like turnstile and angel dust and it's like first off no it doesn't it sounds like the guy from turnstile and the guy from angel dust wrote on it because we did <laughs> like that's, that's that's like i was gonna say this about heat wave and I, i've always said it about heat wave i like that record first of all I don't think I like it as much as I like the other two full lengths, but I like that record, right? I think it's a good record. And I think what's interesting about it is that it's almost like you were influenced by yourselves, by what you, by what was happening with on nonstop feeling and rock the fuck on forever. Right. Cause those are the two records that were released with the other bands, like right before then you just said it better, better than I do. But it's one thing that I've, that I've always appreciated. It sounds like you guys were like influencing yourself and I don't think anybody else <laughs> can say that. Yeah. I think, I think when you make music, you need to, put yourself into it like no matter what you're doing you're gonna if, if if i start a fucking black metal band you're gonna hear me on it you're gonna know it's me somewhere or another you know <laughs> trapped in a race is unique that it's composed of all different people who are, like write music like everybody in the band writes music you know it's not like there's just one person don't be wrong it's like certain people are doing more than others in, in this field this field but everybody has input and like 
like you know amongst all the bands we mentioned you got like sam who's like a fucking genius at writing pop music and he really and he and he's a genius at writing the heaviest mosh parts you can imagine i got my things that i focus on you know and then brendan's got his focused focal things and i think if you listen to angel dust you're getting like a lot more of my writing stuff and if you listen to turnstile you're getting a lot of brendan's writing stuff and but yeah you like bring it all together and it's like that's what trapped in a race is it, it is the place where all these minds meet that are unique in their own way and those are all things like i mean i do a lot of those songs on heat well not a lot a couple of those songs on heat wave were songs for Big Kiss Goodnight. And uh, the one that I think is significant, I've mentioned this before in other places, but uh, the song called, um, what is it? No Remorse. I think it's No Remorse. But yeah, uh, I, re- I was I like, renamed it a million times. Uh, oh, no, No Relief. There's No Remorse yeah. originally. We called it No Re- I think we, I ended up realizing that No Remorse was like a white power band or something. <laughs> they were like, ah, <laughs> I can't do no Relief now. <laughs> um, but like that song got vetoed from Biggest Good Night for being too heavy. Like literally, that was wow, the thing. Yeah. Somebody was like, "I just think that this is just like an ignorant ass beater, and it doesn't belong on this record. That's more pop centric and more theatrical. Like Biggest Gun is very theatrical." Mm-hmm. And then he waved out, and and you know, like it wasn't made to appease to like the like the the average trapped under ice fan it was like this is me getting off because i was writing more than everybody at the time i was like let me just do like a very justice centric trapped under ice record and again everybody else wrote on it too but it's a little more of me and um and then we'll do like a more sam centric trapped under ice record after that so we always talked about doing a record hopefully like real soon after that but then life just happened and never came out um never never recorded or anything but uh yeah, like I, like I was very aware that it wasn't for the average Trapped Under Ice fan. It was like more for like what I'm feeling in this moment and relating to young people who never got a chance to um, see Trapped Under Ice when it was doing its, when it was at its most active. And my only real reference point for that record was, uh, you know, like the classic hardcore band's first released where it's like you got lowest of the low at Terror and like mm-hmm. Satisfaction. Well... I mean, they had releases before. Both of them had releases before that, but their first LP or whatever. Right, right. Um, short, fast, heavy songs. Mm-hmm. Like, all the, all the songs on those records are fucking a minute, two minutes tops. Just comes in beating your ass and then leaves. And that was the that was the goal with doing the Trapped in Race record. Like, short, fast songs. We never had that. Let's do it now. And it went really well with, again, I think, like, a younger crowd that was, that didn't get to experience that earlier version of Trapped in Race. But it's like, yo, if we put out the trapped in a race record that everybody wanted in that moment. Um, it'd be fun. I, I love, I love all facets of, of trapped in a race. I just uh, think that it would have been too predictable and it would not have done well as much as. I was going to say, I think that's, I think that's like an impossible thing, an impossible crowd to please the one that wants yeah. that. I don't think you, I don't think you can do it. Not that you're not capable. I don't think anything would be accepted as suitable yeah this is a weird you know yeah it's a weird true. thing but i feel like you just kind of gotta like do your thing and you can't overthink what people are gonna think about it i mean don't me wrong like like i i think about a crowd like when i'm like right music people is gonna make people want to jump on each other is gonna want to do this but what are people's opinions on it at the end of the day what are critics gonna say like i don't try to think about that at all and yeah um i think that's a again probably another theme amongst my creative friends, my creative friend group, you know, just like doing what feels good. And it worked like he waved 
did well. You know, we didn't tour it a lot. We didn't, you know, didn't really get to be much of a, like a, like a full time band, but right record did well and it served its purpose and I love it. And, uh, just looking forward to and hoping to record Trapped in the Race again. It'd be really fun. Yeah, is that the, is that the thing now? Is trapped? You mentioned you vaguely mentioned it, but like, are, are you guys back? Or are you just doing shows here and there? Because obviously, you got Disturbing the Peace coming up. You're doing a show up in New York as well. Um, those are both in January, right? Yeah, I think as of now, it looks like we're going to do four shows this year, nice. including two that have already been announced. Um, would love to make a fifth one happen, but I still don't know if it's in the cards. Everybody's on different pages and. that extreme different lifestyles again um but you know me and sam are always like writing and sending ideas back and forth and every now and then one of the other guys will send us something or like you know have some input and right now it's kind of a conversation like how practical is is it you know like sam's a family man um jared fights fires brad's a family man brendan's in the biggest band in the world (laughs) How how do you make that work you know it's like yeah um but yeah, even if it's like an EP or something short, like I want to get in there and just do some TY songs. Cause yeah, I want to hear three songs. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear three new Trap and Rice songs. That's it. Sometimes I'm just like, I have these thoughts. Like, I'm not a hater. I love everybody doing their thing. But sometimes I'll see young people like talking about something like it's the heaviest thing that ever happened. And this isn't all bands. This isn't a shot at any one band or anything like that. But I see it sometimes where it's like somebody put out some mid, not very aggressive music, you know? <laughs> And fools are like, this is the craziest thing to ever happen. I'm like, bro, don't make me drop a TV track on you right now. See, that's exactly what they want and need. That's what that's what that's what everybody yeah. wants and needs. You, you got to do it. You got to. Sounds cocky a little bit, but I mean, it's just like <laughs> I know we're good at that. We're good at invoking a spin kick, and I think people always question that. Like, if you lose that, you know, it's like because I like play acoustic guitar or something. It's like, dog, I'm still that fool. Like, I'll, I'll put a bandana on my head, take my shirt off, and have somebody <laughs> taking you 30 seconds deep into the track. You're getting spin kicked. Don't quit, don't doubt me. And definitely yeah. don't doubt Sam Trapkin. He's got, <laughs> I'm telling you, that fool has the craziest riffs. He's a, a secret weapon. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's um, <laughs> underrated, probably. But, it, but that'd be silly to say because. Trapped Under Ice, and I, you've got to be aware of it, is literally one of the biggest and most influential hardcore bands that has ever existed. Like, that's not a, that's not an exaggeration at all. That's a really cool thing to hear. But, yeah, I would, I hope, yeah, I would hope so. That, that, that's a cool idea. But It's true. It's true. You don't have to, you don't have to agree with it, but it's true. <laughs> but yeah. it's true. Well, it's like, not that I'm like, I don't disagree. It's just like, it's hard to, from the, from the inside, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'll say inside looking out, but like looking at perceiving trapped in a race or like yeah. perceiving angel dust, even it's like, just, just do it. It's like, and it's like, and get this art too. You know, it's like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't perceive myself. Maybe I shouldn't think too much about what, you know, what the band's done. So when people say stuff like that, it feels really good to hear. And I, like, you know, people have told me things like that and people do crazy shit, like get your lyrics tattooed on their face and shit. And you're like, <laughs> but really what that comes down to is like, connecting with people which has always been the goal and i'm like we're doing it we're connecting with people so it's like you know we trapped in a race would do it we headline some hardcore fest or like play some big ass show and then like in new york or baltimore richmond somewhere in the united states and we do really good in europe too and you be in europe and then you play some weird country like it's like some weird um like eastern german um city or something and it's not really popping there's 10 people in the room and mm-hmm. uh, moments like that are incredible as a musician like and i think 
if you're a real musician, you're going to thrive in those. Like, don't, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want to do a tour to 10 people every night, you know? Right, right. If you can't have that night and like engage with people and, and do and perform your art, you're not real and you're not in it for the right reason. You don't deserve to be doing it. Like, it's, it's a, uh, that's the important part is just, like connecting with people. And if you're doing it, you're winning, you know? And, and obviously it feels good to connect with more people at a time. And, but the mission is just go out and, you're speaking your language to people who hopefully understand where you're coming from and you've gotten to do that a lot. So I think we're pretty successful in that regard. I think, yeah, I think you, yeah, you got to consider that a success regarding that with, with Trap and Rice, with Angel Dust and your other stuff we'll touch on briefly and then I'll let you go. The cold mega stuff. Tell me about that. Um, it's kind of like, again, how saying like uh, with early Angel Dust, you're like hearing me learn, you know, mm. and that's like a cool part of the process. You should hear that. Like, I want people to be a part of my my story, I guess, you know? So, uh, like, in the process of recording Yak, the, the Angel Dust record, um, I started, like, learning a little bit more about production and Rob Schnaff, who did the records, can give me some pointers and stuff. So I started just, like, um, taking... The first couple songs I wrote were, like, kind of intended for Angel Dust, knowing that they were really different. Mm-hmm. Being like, this is something we could do that would be different. And I think, at the time, the other people in the band didn't really see where I was going with it, and I was like, I'll just try to make them because you know what it is. Like, with you can demo out a song with guitars and drum and bass. I can do that and show you the story. But when it comes to production, which again, that's like this is my journey of production with Cold Mega. Um, with all these different tools. So with some of these songs I'm showing them and I can't explain to them. I'm like, yo, it's gonna this is gonna ha- happen here, and then the sound's gonna drop out, and this horn comes in, and then it's all this, and I'm gonna mix the drums to sound like this, and nobody understands what you're talking about. <laughs> So like I'm learning that process and those those songs, uh the first short LP that I put out with Cold Mega was like kind of the songs I was doing for fun. And then at some point you're like, these actually sound good. Like I, yeah. I told the story and I don't need to pay somebody to go do it right. Like this is right, this is it. So uh just kind of put it out and it's cool. It's like led to you know, I got a lot going on, like Angel Dust is writing and like I said, Trapped in Race always writing slowly. Um, and I work with some other artists on songs and stuff. But what's cool is right now, my era for Cold Mega is it led to a lot of people like wanting to collaborate, you know? Yeah, yeah. A lot of friends and artists that I respect being like, hey, let's make this, let's do that. And um, I'm really particular. Like, I don't care if it's like good for, for my career or whatever. It's like, if I don't love what it is, I just don't push it out. So like 90% of my life is making music that you're never going to hear. And <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's like the price you pay, like when you when you're out.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with Justice Tripp. The song you just heard was No Relief from Heatwave. He talked a little bit about that track, so I thought it was a good idea to throw it in here so you knew what we were referring to in case you missed it. Interestingly enough, we kind of skipped over the most popular era of Trapped Under Ice, Stay Cold to Big Kiss Goodnight. But I think I'd say that's pretty well documented, though, so I think we did our job. Um, Again, I was looking forward to having him on for a very long time, so I want to thank him for the conversation. I want to thank you for listening, but I want to encourage you to make sure you go to gettingitout.net. Check out what's going on over there. It's Friday, so there's new releases out today. Lots of cool new stuff. I want you to immediately check out the new rejection-packed album, Can We Wait? You will enjoy that. If you like hardcore, there's all sorts of good stuff, though. I'm interested in checking out LS Dunes. I have no idea what this sounds like. I do know Travis Stever is involved friend of the podcast, who uh, you might have heard when he came on here to talk about his hardcore band, Zero Trust. He also plays guitar in Coheed and Cambria, but this is a whole different animal, I'm told. It has members of Thursday and probably some other bands I should know, but I don't. Anyway, looking forward to checking that out. Um, There's some crazy death metal out this week. Uh, There's some interesting grindcore roach whore. Go listen to the new roach whore, whatever that sounds like. (laughs) Just go find yourself some new music or just fucking listen to acdc i don't care do whatever you want Um, but that's gonna be it for this one speaking of new music i'm gonna end it with a track from narrowhead they are a texas-based rock and roll band if you're unfamiliar maybe similar to they say smashing pumpkins and hum and that type of thing bands of that ilk is a word people like to use and i'll agree with that that's okay we can do that but i think it rocks no matter what you call it so here check it out this is moments of clarity which is the title track of their new record coming soon on run for cover records thank you for listening bye-bye Okay to say you are
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.